Chipping away at the block Cause I know that life ain't love And when I go to sleep I dream the best parts of me will come alive But when I see that morning light I know Chris near by my side Chipping away, chipping away with me Hello and happy Motivational Monday, everybody. I am really looking forward to my conversation with my next guest. This is an episode that I have been looking forward to for a while and has been in the works for a while. And I'm really excited to hear the stories that I don't know or the stories that I've heard countless times at dinner and throughout my entire life. Um, I do want to preface those of our listeners that listen to season one. We are very thankful that you're with us for season two. Um, but you listened to my mom's episode, and I just wanted to clear the air before we start this interview. This is not the biological father that was described. I know that that might throw some people off once I introduced him as my dad. Um, I'm going to be interviewing my dad today, uh, the dad that we talk about towards the end of my mom's episode. I don't want to spoil anything. If you haven't listened, I'm very disappointed in you. Please go back to season one and catch up accordingly. Um, but today we have with me my father, Jeff Burns. Uh, he is a professional golfer. He is a managing partner of NextLink, and he is also a coach at the First Tee here in San Antonio. So I know that's a lot of hats to introduce him with, so we're going to kind of have him wear all of them throughout this interview and just hear a little bit about you. Thanks, Chris. I mean, I'm so, <laughs> can you do that one more time, please? That was a perfect intro. Can we get on a I'll just follow you around and say, say that to all your people. Absolutely. When you say wearing um, a couple different hats, I have one on right now, which yes. is always kind of my outfit. You see me in a lid mostly or a cap. So, <laughs> and a uh, master's hat at that. <laughs> true. That little place called the Cathedral of Nature in Augusta, which is a cherished um, part of golf and history. But no, I'm so excited. I've I've watched you do your podcast. I've listened to your podcast. And fortunately, my better half, Hope, I mean, was um, on your episode last year. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited. I'm so excited. Yeah. I do just kind of want to start um, unpacking what it means to be a pro golfer, because I know as a female, um, and there's tons of incredible female golfers and women that respect golf um, completely. I was totally respecting like top golf and just like hitting the ball and having the cool cocktails while you played like the Texas Open and stuff. I didn't realize that you being a pro golfer was like cool until I got to like college. Um, and I also didn't know the difference between dads who go out on Sundays and play golf to just get out of the house and like being a pro golfer. Cause there's a huge difference between the two. There is. It's actually, uh, when you play golf full time, it is a full-time job when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, cause it's what I call more of an unpacked bag traveled. Cause you're always on the road. Okay. And, you know, because if you have a 52 week schedule, you're looking at probably 70% of that time Wow. on a plane, traveling mm -hmm. in hotels, uh, playing the tournament throughout the week. No, so doing it when you said top golf, I always laugh about that because that's a great place to go kind of get some blood flowing through the body, have a cool, refreshing beverage, have the donut hole with all this. Oh, my God. Yes. Everything back behind, you know, the scenes. And but unfortunately, that's not really golf. I mean, no. you can hit balls, but you have to actually play 
the golf course and maneuver around. So, you mean you don't just hit golf balls into squares that are red and blue and green? Better off to do it at <laughs> night. That way you don't see where it goes. <laughs> so what does it mean to be a pro golfer? So I know people can't see you right now, obviously. This sure. is a podcast, but you're six foot five. So... Um, I don't think people would look at you and immediately think pro golfer. I think they would think basketball player or man who reaches things on the top shelf. Like, I don't know if pro golfer is like the first thing that comes to mind, but golf in it, in itself is a very unique sport because so many different body types can do it. So many different types of people can do it. So what makes a good pro golfer? What are some things that people feel and look for when they look at this as a career? That's a great question. And when you were talking about being six foot five and tall, they think I'm a basketball player. And I did play basketball when I was younger. The thing is, is that I couldn't jump as high as those guys. So I knew I had to look at something else. And yep. then it turned into baseball and then golf, which we'll probably talk about mm -hmm. uh, today. I'll, for, for clarification purposes, there's a professional golfer and there's a golf professional and they're two totally different worlds. Oh, okay. For example, if you go to a golf course, municipal, private, there's normally an assistant professional and a uh, golf professional, and he's gone through the ranks to actually run the golf course, run the pro shop. Run and that's where you get lessons from and right. stuff like that. And they okay. also have assistant pros that will do that. So there's a, a course, you can say a course here in San Antonio, Oak Hills Country Club. There's a uh, professional or a golf professional and his assistants that are underneath them. Professional golfer mm -hmm. and a golf professional. So if you play, if you tick that box when you're an amateur, and you decide I'm going to forego my amateur status. I'm going to go try and make money and actually pay my bills <laughs> okay. and play this crazy sport called golf. Yeah. Once you tick that box, you lose all of that time you spent as an amateur at the minute that's submitted. Wow. And so you become a professional golfer, which means you're not really running a golf course. You're running your business on the course as a golfer. So once I did that, when I graduated university of Houston, that meant that's my job, full-time okay. job. And so that, when you see the guys on the PGA Tour or the women on the LPGA Tour, or even overseas on the European and Japan, that's their professional golfers. There's a difference in the two. Yeah. And so what are the steps in becoming a professional golfer other than just checking off the box and giving up all of your amateur status and stuff like that? What, what are the things that go into getting into that career? A big four-letter word called time okay. and how you utilize your time. Uh, meaning, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of run through when I graduated University of Houston in uh, late 98, 99, and I turned professional, I knew that that was my full-time job. So whether it be uh, fitness, uh, how you take care of your body, all the things that are entailed in becoming a professional golfer, but when you go through that, you're, you're working toward the end of the year, which is, Q, they call it Q school, okay. which is... I mean qualifying so pj qualifying school and there's three stages and it's cutthroat so the first week that you go through i mean there's fields all throughout the united states and once you go through that field and you qualify you go to stage two if you miss stage one you're back to square one and it's on you you have to find like what they call barbecue circuit tour or a secondary circuit tour where the prize money is much much lower the entry fees are much much higher and so you're about a break-even point, depending on how you play throughout the year. Okay. So then when you go through stage one, you go to stage two. Once you get through stage two, if you don't get through stage two, stage one doesn't mean anything. You're back to square one again. It does, yeah, you're just done. You're done. Now, okay. the trick is, is that when you fortunately play well enough to get to the final stage, which they call finals, uh, Q, Q school finals, 
there's about, I want to say about 200 players from around the world that come in, meaning the European tour, Japanese tour, South Africa, United States, Canada, uh, South America, and all the tours wow. around the world. And they have either earned the right to receive an exemption into final stage because of how they played throughout that year Okay. to get to final stage. Now, just because you get to the final stage doesn't mean you have a job full time. It means you either have a part time or a full time, meaning so when you get to the final stage, there are only 25. And this was you know years ago. I stopped playing about over 12 years back that when you get to the final stage, the top 25 golfers and ties get their full time PGA Tour card. Okay. From 26 down to about 75, get the full time, which is now called the Corn Ferry Tour, which is a tour that feeds into the PGA Tour. And then after that, you become conditional. Conditional meaning doesn't mean you have the rights to play every tournament and choose your schedule. They let you know based on what number you have drawn, how you finish. So if you're 70, you're going to get into a tournament before someone who's 80th. Got it. And then you have to play well enough in the first six tournaments to reshuffle and work your way up. Quick little funny story, you'll like this. I don't know if I've ever told you this. So my my first year um, in 2004, when I earned, I was able to play well enough to get to final stage. Yeah. And I didn't play well at finals. I kind of finished on the bottom of the run. Well, that meant I had to go through Monday qualifying to improve, to improve my status, to be able to play without having to Monday qualify and not reshuffle. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. So I was traveling with a couple of close friends of mine and I played 13 out of 14 weeks and didn't come home for like five or six months. And you're playing every single day. Cause they had, they had like six tournaments on a week off, seven tournaments on at that point. Oh my it's God. Feast or famine because $100 or even $1 can make a difference of you having a full-time job being at the bottom of the reshuffle or going back to stage one, two, or however you finish that My year. Goodness. So North was South and East was West that time. So I yeah. travel and you, I woke up in the middle of the night and thought the bathroom was the closet and vice versa. <laughs> you just never know when you, when you travel. With that. To put it in perspective in like my actor brain, this sounds like a bunch of people who go to an open call and they have some kind of talent. Some people have been training and have mentors like myself. I went and got my BFA in acting, but then some people are like, Hey, I really love golf and I really think I can do this too. And they all kind of funnel in and then slowly it gets cut and cut and cut and cut until you make a show or you don't. Is that kind of similar for Q? It is in you know, the conversations. I'm going to say drama a lot to the audience because <laughs> drama is Chrisney's nickname. We'll go into that later. That's another, I promise that's it's my career. Podcast. Yep. That's a full podcast. Just for my career. Um, you're, your industry, I, when Hope and I were looking, as you were growing within your industry, it is so cutthroat because you're relying on someone else's opinion of your ability. 100%. As well as possible connections that, you know, through the industry. Or if I'm blonde or have boobs right, sure. or the right yeah. size. Or, you know, yeah. Or you hit a drive 350, you may be playing the long drive tour, which you see on ESPN, but not really playing full-time as a professional golfer. Mm -hmm. When you look at golf, it is what you shoot. It's a number, right? It's a numbers game. So all the information, all the data you receive on the golf course comes to a final number, whether it be you played well, 66, if you didn't play well, maybe 73. Okay. And that dictates where you go in your direction, not someone else saying, yep, they're going to be right for this role or this, yeah. this series or this, this, this movie team, that this... we're, you know, that we're casting right now. Interesting. So there are some similarities. I think your industry is much more difficult 
much more difficult than mine, even though, I mean, because they're both very difficult. Yeah. If you don't shoot the numbers in golf, you don't advance. You might be able to advance if you have an off performance and they still like your charisma, your, your moxie, everything that you bring to the table when you're in front of, you know, a whole casting crew. Yeah. So how does this work as a golf um, or a professional golfer? Because it is all I know about golf. And I think I know more than I um, actually realize as conversations happen with people. I'm like, I remember my dad saying this once, but I definitely know golf is a gentleman's sport. I've heard it my whole life. Golf is a gentleman's sport. So essentially, it's not like, oh, I really need to beat that guy. And I hope that guy plays horrible and blah, blah, blah. It's not that kind of thing. It's a mental game for yourself. It's like, oh, I really hope I hit that putt. I really hope I hit that drive here. And it's a a competition with yourself is what it kind of feels like. So how is it having a career out of a competition with yourself? What, what I, I feel like that's what my career is too, <laughs> where I'm like, I really it's hope true. my makeup's on point today. Right. Cause if not, I'm going to be upset, but it's essentially golf feels like a competition of a career with yourself. You hit the nail right on the head. And there's two things about that. Number one is um, there's acronyms and abbreviations and everything that we do in, in life and golf. When you were saying gentlemen only, there's two things about that. Number one, golf is supposed to supposedly meant to mean gentlemen only ladies forbidden. Oh, Jesus. So, oh my God. so, but here's the thing. I've changed that. I think it's called golf because it was the last four letter word that was left. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, awesome. When you look at the, the competition and who is your competition. So um, that is a great question. And what I learned early on is that you, you are competing. A normal field has 144 players. You're not really competing against 143 other guys. You're really competing against the golf architect. So the designer of the golf course is who you're in communication with. Mm -hmm. If there's a par five and it's uphill, I'm working on a right to left wind shot. I want to hit the shot right center of the fairway. And if it's how it's what is in front of me at the present time not two groups behind me on if that guy made double bogey and the guy in front of me made eagle mm -hmm. because I can't control that. The only thing I'm able to control is my own ability, whether it be mental and or physical. So I've always looked at it. The golf course designer is your main competition, even though you're playing against other people as well. Yeah, that's super funny. I've never thought about that. And there's a lot to be said where you can play incredible one day and then play on a totally different course and then have the wind and have rain and have all this stuff against you. But it's still you and the golf course and how it's laid out. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and like what you just said to parlay that there's an old saying in Scotland, the golf course will giveth and the golf course will take it away. <laughs> Meaning that they'll give you some things, but just get ready because it's a balancing act. They're going to take it back. Yeah. The golf gods, the golf architect, <laughs> whoever's out there that day, right? Because oh, yeah. you're, you're, the, the odds of you shooting, you very rarely see someone shoot 64, 65, 64, 64. You see a more of a up and a, and a down. And, and the other reason, the other part of that that most people may not recognize, whenever you play professional golf, the first two days on a Thursday and a Friday, you have a morning round and an afternoon round. You never have the same tee time twice in a row. And the reason why the, the rules does that for the game is equality. They want a balancing act. So let's say, Krizny or Drama, you're, you're teeing off at 7 o'clock on Thursday. I'm at 1 o'clock on Thursday. We flip. Okay. So the next day, you're hopefully playing the same conditions I was the day before and golf course, because in the morning, the golf course is softer. Yeah. It's got cooler air. The greens are more receptive. In the afternoon, the wind could blow, 
harder or firmer. And then actually the golf course is stronger to where the greens don't hold as much. So the score, but it can also be flipped. Yeah. You can play at 7 a.m. I play at one and you get rain for three hours and I have sunshine and no wind. That's how that. That's how they try and balance, balance it. it out. Yeah, yeah, that's really smart. And so I know that I was really confused. And when you first came into our life, I didn't realize that pro golf went across the country. I know a lot of people think Tiger Woods and then Augusta, where the Masters are. And that's about all and I we're knew. We're going to talk about Tiger today, too. I figured that was going to come up. So <laughs> your your best friend, yep. Um, but, like, that's all people know about professional yeah. golf, I feel like, on a very basic level. And so then when I started talking to my friends when you were touring and everything like that, I was like, oh, my dad's on the Asian tour. And it's so cool because, like, right now he's getting me stuff from Thailand and you're super jealous. And they were like, I didn't know they played golf in Thailand. And I was like, I didn't either, but that's where my dad is. So I learned that this week. So what is it? What are the differences between touring here in the United States, touring in Asia, touring in Europe? What are all these different types of tours? How does that kind of break down in your industry? Another great question. I'll let me give you the lens I looked through for so many years on the reason um, why I chose to go overseas. So when to get um, away from us, but other than that, yeah, okay. You know, the heart grows farther the further you are away, right? <laughs> and so, you're in India and you can only be surrounded by the chickens in the back of the car. Right. Maybe an ox crosses the road and that's okay. <laughs> and a cow stops traffic for five hours. Exactly. Jelly, but that's fine. Um, when you, the way I looked at it was when I graduated in, in late, you know, 98, 99, around there and then turned professional, I went through tour school and didn't get through first stage. I missed first stage by one shot. I was devastated. I thought the world was going to end. I couldn't see straight for a couple of days, pick myself up. And then how do you pick yourself up from that? Uh, that's another good question. It, it, it takes a little bit of time because you want to reevaluate, you want to evaluate how you played and yeah. you want to look at all different aspects of your game. And I like to look at them from a scale of one to 10. And if you're a seven or above, that means there's less maintenance that goes on in that area of your game. I'll give you an example. Driver, how would you rate one to 10? Are you hitting fairways? Are you hitting it solid? Is the right kind of distance than your longer irons and your mid irons and short irons. If any of those short game putting sand all across the board, if any of those buckets receive a number under seven, that means I need to allocate and dedicate more time to that bucket for that area of the game to bring it up to a seven, because there's so many facets to golf, just like acting, right? There's so many ways you could take a role. Golf is the same way too. I could hit a fade, I could hit a draw, I could hit it low, I could hit it high, I could actually hit it really, really low and skip it in there. So when you look at every, you're only as good as your next tournament, not your previous. Oh, yeah. And so when you look at competition, you have to say, okay, that's like my dad would say, um, Papa would always say, you know, dust off, lace them up tight, and find your next rodeo. And that's what he would always say at a young age to me. So when you, I don't look at it as a failure if you missed a cut because you're going to look at, okay, how am I going to work on certain areas of my game to put myself in a position where I'm in the top 10. I'm looking, you know, on the back nine of Sunday, hopefully being in contention to win if I'm not in the league, mm -hmm. those things. So how you dust off and re almost calibrate where you are for the next tournament. Okay. So you missed it by one oh, hit. Yeah. Back to that, right. <laughs> you have to remember I'm getting old. You're good. So, um, so I missed it by one time at the different tours. Yeah. So I missed it by one and I had uh, a friendship with a friend of mine who actually lives here in San Antonio now. Chris, and he was heading over to Asia. I said, well, what's going on in Asia? He goes, well, you got to check it out. I mean, I'm going to go over for tour school. Well, when that happened, um, before I went over for their tour school, I wrote the Hong Kong PGA for the Hong Kong Open for a sponsor invite. 
I was fresh out of college, had um, University of Houston. We finished in the top five in the nation that year, just finished up NCAA championships. So things were on a high on my amateur uh, background and resume. I remember when you tick that box. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. So when I had actually gone through tour school, I had sent the, the um, sponsor invite request to the chairman of the Hong Kong PGA. I didn't think there was a chance I'd get at that tournament or get in. I was in back then we faxed. Oh God. We faxed, right? <laughs> okay, so we don't I do wrote, that anymore. I wrote a fax and it was the dot matrix. Do you know what a dot matrix printer no. is? Okay. A dot matrix <laughs> printer is when the printer goes left to right horizontal and the dots make up the letters. Like braille? Like braille. And the, yeah, exactly. Like braille on <laughs> ink on paper, but you don't feel the braille. So it goes left, right, and you start scanning like this. And then that's so you sent Hong Kong like a SOS Braille Pretty message. Much. Please so put I me in your like tour. So I spent like two or three days writing it out. I don't remember if I even had a computer at that time or a laptop. <laughs> and so I sent the, the fax over. I get a fax in return that I was accepted. They, I'm going to go play in Hong Kong. And the neat thing about that is my mom and dad, kind of a precursor, spent a ton of time in the Far East. And I was able to go over there and see Hong Kong at a much younger age. So I thought, what an apropos thing have happened yeah i get to go play the hong kong open my first real kind of like professional tournament to play in so that's what kickstarted asia met a bunch of americans that were already playing on the tour and it was like friendships waiting to happen kind of deal because they're all traveling in pods the south africans were traveling with us we were with the europeans all kind of a, a good melting pot of a mix of friends and when i went over there and saw the prize money they were playing for it changed my thought process because it, um if you play in the states the most you'll play for at that time is about a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand for the purse. Okay, and that's and divvied that, between that's everybody, div right? And the purse is driven by the entry fee of the golfers. So if there's one hundred forty-four golfers and they pay a thousand dollars, hundred forty-four thousand, then the the operations have to pull back their expenses, and that gives you the purse. Okay. Well, first place may only be fifteen or twenty thousand. That seems like a lot of money, right? Yeah. You're 24 years old, right out of college. However, Hong Kong was a million dollar purse and first place was close to 200,000. So I'm like, wait a second here. And then if you play well, it earns you world ranking points. So you can back in, meaning go into the European tour and receive exemptions into their Q school. Okay. So instead of going to first stage, you might get an exemption to second or into finals. And then also if you receive world ranking points or happen to win the right tournaments, it can give you a parlay or an invitation back to the U.S. World Golf Championships, world ranking points. I looked at that as a as a huge stepping stone, one, to travel the world, to play a crazy sport that we love called golf, mm -hmm. whether you call it the other one or it's a four-letter word, right? <laughs> um, because that, that to me was going to be able to give me the best position monetarily for earnings and mm -hmm. also for advancement in the sport. Yeah, it gives you more options. Sure. Okay. So kind of, clarify that? oh yeah, no, 100%. I was just super interested because I know there's so many options and I didn't know golf had options. I thought you either played in Augusta or you didn't. So I just wanted to. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> it's hard to it's get like a ticket to go to Augusta, let alone play Augusta. Make it on Broadway or you don't. That's like the thought process. So kind of to segue into um, another golf related thing, another one of your hats, if you will, because I am super intrigued from a motivational standpoint, but also like inspiration and your drive within the game of golf. You are a coach, as I mentioned, um, you're a coach at the first tee here in San Antonio. You're an incredible coach at that. And you are also so 
passionate about these golfers, both men, women, all different ages, like all different ages. You showed me an 80 year old man who looked better than me in his golf swing. And I was so jealous. So you have all different kinds of clientele and you will come home for dinner or I'll talk to you on the phone and I can just hear it, how excited you are. And it's very um, comparable to how you were when you were in Q school, you were traveling the world. It's still kind of brightness and passion that you have. So what is that hat like in the world of golf, wearing that as a coach and being a teacher of golf rather than the player of golf as well. The way I look at that is anytime that you can help someone achieve a goal in one, I think one of the most difficult sports to play in the world, because you are your own CEO, you're calling all your own shots. If there's water left and OB right, that golfer is not able to call 911 and I answer the phone, I'm probably not going to be answering. They have to, they have to understand what they're doing, kind of their own diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And if I can help that individual, everyone is different. If you were to come out and hit golf balls, which we have, yeah. you know, or hope comes out and hit, which she'll be in high heels, not golf shoes. Nope. And, um, cause you ball <laughs> better is that there's something that will, I have to get to know you as a person. Um, I also have to get to know you physically, meaning, have you had anything with your shoulders that were bothering you? Have you had a knee surgery? Is there something going on with your hips? What's the mobility of that person? Because there's a lot of different ways to swing a golf club. And if you're able to give someone guidance that can one, find the center of the golf club more, it equates to more fun. Mm -hmm. And that is a, a, a fantastic more a, gra a gratifying feeling I receive in return from helping somebody else. And what is that like as a coach? So for a golf coach, what do, like, what are your um, items that you go through with each one of your people? Like you say, everyone's at a different place in their golf game, but they all come out to hit balls. They all come out for questions. So you as a coach for each individual, what do you think your job is essentially other than making them like swing better and hit the ball through is it a different um end goal for each player is it a different um kind of experience every time you go into a various lesson how does that work so that's another great question um, <laughs> you have to i like to evaluate someone on what they bring to the table okay and not everyone can swing when you turn on CBS and hear Jim Nance say, hello, friends, you know, as he's going on to broadcast and you're watching the elite of the elite play. Unfortunately, I, you know, I played for 12, 13 years and had the opportunity to play with the best players in the world, even the number one player in the world. And so you have to look at what they bring to the table and how do we make that better? And I'll give you an example. So um, how you step to the golf ball, if you look at PGA Tour, Professional Golf Association, you can also look at that as posture, grip, and alignment. Okay. So there's a ways that you can make it fun for the athlete. I look at everyone as an athlete because no matter what age they are, they bring athletic ability. Okay. And how am I able to communicate to that person? Because the way I communicate to you could be totally different to the next person and totally different than one a week from now. And what makes them advance? Mm -hmm. And not everyone advances at the same rate. So when you're working with someone, you have to find out how often are they playing golf? You have to ask a ton of questions. It's more of a, it's almost like you're getting a white jacket and the sofa ready with some Advil, okay. right? 
because you have to look at what who they are as a person. It's a mental game. And, and exactly right. So you there's two aspects of golf other than what you post, kind of like when you're going for auditions. Yeah. Is that um, one? There's a physical aspect, and one there's a mental, and they're two totally different worlds, but they're very DNA intertwined. A hundred percent. Right. And it's how do you bring those so. Um, more experienced uh, high school and college players that I work with, a lot of it is not as technical as it was before because they've already dug they've got those the trenches. Mm-hmm. They've that four letter word time have already put the time into it because now their talent is there, their technique is there, they're spending more time in their craft. Now we're working on how does their mind work? Are they focused on more of staying in the present than actually worried about where my ball position is, where my grip is, or how yeah. am I going to I've got 14 ingredients to the recipe and I'm not able to make the recipe now. Yeah. So you want to make it as easy for them as you possibly can, because this is a very, very difficult sport to play. 100%. And your body is not meant to swing a golf club a hundred miles an hour <laughs> to move in a circular motion and up. And it's, it's, it's a phenomenal game. It's one of those kind of sports that it was, it's, it's a different kind of handshake that I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, the people that you meet, you know, as our son, Joseph um, Camo. Well, not the, my son. No, our son. Sorry, yeah. Right? Okay. Not I was like, jeez. Yeah, go back. <laughs> yeah, my Can brother. That out? Okay. That out. So like with, with Joseph, we, we go hunting and fishing and there's ways you can connect with people like that. But golf has that other type of connection mm-hmm. that's just a little bit different. Oh, and yeah. You really just can't put your finger on it, but it's different. It's very special, too. I wear one of my golf hats walking down the streets of New York, and someone will be like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's my dad's. I have literally no idea and what you're, you're like, saying. Wait, which one is it? Oh, it's that one. Yeah. I'm like, um, here's a Googled answer. <laughs> Maybe that <laughs> makes you feel better. <laughs> How do you, as a coach, um, kind of self-help? Um, or self-care, because as you said, it's a lot of mental work with these people. It's a lot of evaluating their physicality, their mental, um, I don't want to say stability, but their mental uh, awareness of where they're at currently present and so on and so forth. How do you give yourself different elements for every single lesson, but then still go back to yourself and your golf game and your business and career how does that work i think it's very difficult yeah you because what happens is when you start helping um I, I'll, I'll use a friend of mine gary player who's a legend of the game and when i was phasing out of playing golf full-time this was probably about seven or eight years back he's like jeff let me tell you jeff he talks that african accent and he's saying jeff it's very difficult to do both to actually play and do that and um and to teach yeah because once you start thinking about others and not yourself it is an extremely slippery slope mm-hmm. uh in golf and when you're when you're working toward the top and you're at the top people are trying golfers are trying to knock you off on a daily basis and they're working as hard as they possibly can to do that so if you're taking time away from one craft to focus on another one, it's difficult to do. Yeah. So when you're talking about baseline with, with, when you're working with people, I, I really, I take, I take enough time before I respond. And it's interesting because when I'm with, I call them victims when I'm with yep. my clients and uh, fun jargon, but when I'm with them, um, I always, I, they look at me and they go, well, we're not saying very much cause I'm getting to know them and I'm not mm-hmm. saying much about their golf game. I said, well, I like for one domino 
to fall and then five others fall behind that and we're not working on five dominoes mm -hmm. because you can become very confused with information um, that is put into our pea-sized brain at times. And if someone leaves thinking about one or two things from our time together mm -hmm. that they can dedicate time to improve, that's worthwhile. Some people want 14 things. I'm not that kind of coach or mentor in the sport. There's an old saying, you build a house one brick at a time and you don't wanna try and put on seven or eight bricks at once because you're still thinking about the seven or eight you're trying to build as you're over the golf ball, right? if that makes sense. Yeah. So I am kind of curious because I don't know if I know this story of how NextLink came to be. So you kind of mentioned earlier that you went over to Asia and you met these people that just kind of felt like fate. You're destined to be friends with. And you kind of just have that personality. I swear I walked down the street and they're like, ah, you're Jeff's kid. And I'm like, I literally have no idea who you are. It happens with both of my parents. So you just kind of have that innate charismatic energy where people just kind of want to be your friend. And that's really, I think, helped you in life. I, I don't see how it couldn't. Um, but you also majored with two different degrees. Am I correct? How to stay out of trouble and how to stay out of trouble. Right. Okay. Well, I was very thankful that you guys were very accepting of me wanting to be an actress and get a BFA in acting when you got a degree in like finance and helpfulness and like getting a job what are what are your two degrees Did you graduate like top of your class oh yes the top of my yes class. So it's very easy when the top of your class is like dialects and monologues no i'd be <laughs> on the bottom of the barrel in your category <laughs> but you have two degrees with a degree in finance right. and marketing. marketing okay so and all of this time you're still playing like full-time golf and then mm -hmm. you go into golf and then as you as you said like phasing out of the professional touring um portion of your life how did next link come to be or complete organic path um so as i was phasing out of playing golf i was it was tough because you can say an identity uh that's that's who i was for 13 that's what i did and Going into the business world, I felt like I had finance and marketing experience and background. But when you're talking about real world business experience, that's different than sitting behind the desk, reading spreadsheets. Yeah. Because I'm I was in a totally different world. You were on a golf at course. At that time, right. And so when I would meet, when I'd play in a pro am, I would have four friends that became lifelong friends, friendships waiting to happen. And the majority were, you know, founders of company, entrepreneurs, maybe CEOs or they were because they're all over the world mm -hmm. and we would be dealing with the sponsors of the tournaments. So as I was looking to do something different, um, I was, I was coach being, I was a first year coach. I was coaching out there and Ben, I'll, ben Parks gets a ton of the credit. I'm going to explain who Ben is. Yeah. Ben is a, uh, like a grandfather I never had very close. Uh, my mom and dad's dad passed away when they were both, you know, in their early forties. And so we just caught into each other. And that's actually how I got to the University of Houston. That's a crazy story. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about NextLink, um, Ben and I would talk on the phone. He was one of the kind of guys who did not text, did not email, uh, did not do call waiting. And if you <laughs> did call him on the phone and you said, hold on, that son of a gun would hang up on you. I love his style. I love it too. And you know what? He didn't <laughs> do contracts. 
his handshake was as good, strong as the, the oak tree. Mm. That doesn't happen no. nowadays anymore. And this was your mentor. This just, was my mentor. Yeah, so I was working at I was working at Royal Oaks. I know we're spinning off like Pulp Fiction here. But yeah. I was working at Royal Oaks uh, Country Club on the range. I was having putting troubles one day, and I was seventeen, almost eighteen years old. And um, a player on the Champions Tour uh, said, "You need to go see Ben Parks. He's a phenomenal person. Help you with his putting." So I gave him a call. Answers a phone like this. <laughs> Seven thirty, Buffalo. Quick, quick. <laughs> so I went to Buffalo Creek and Rockwall, met him, and, and my friend who was on the Champions Tour said, whatever you do, don't be late, be early. So I showed up at 7.15, and sure enough, at 7.27, he comes pulling in with a Suburban. And I was being looked at at a couple different colleges to sign a golf scholarship and play in college. And um, I know we're kind of going off track here, but this kind of yeah, brings no, all, the, all the next links here in a little bit, because this is how it all got built up over time. Um, he showed me a putting, uh, trick that, um, uh, he knew Jackie Burke very well, who won the masters. Yeah. He was very close with Mr. Ben Hogan and Ben Parks was very close with Byron Nelson. That's how I met them and got to know the legends of the game is through his relationship and his guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're out there and he shows me this, this trick, I'm pulling the putter back and all of a sudden the hole looks like a five gallon bucket. I made everything. I thought golf was going to be as easy as apple pie. <laughs> I'm going to have majors on my mantle now. This is yep. great. Even though I don't even know what college I'm going to go to. Um, and so at that time, um, Brad Shelob, who pulled up in his car, was one of the star players at the University of Houston. And that he was also a mentor to Brad and a good friend. And he looked at me and he goes, hey, kid, you want to go play nine holes? And the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I was panting like a dog. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm out of here. Let's go. <laughs> so we go play and I shoot 30 on the front nine, which means when it, golf normally is a par of 70, 71 or 72. So the front nine is normally 36, 35. Front nine is or back nine is normally 36 or 35. And you For add 18 the holes That's total. Mm-hmm. The outbound and the inbound, how that came in Scotland. Okay. Well, I talk about how they got 18 holes in it. That's a fun story. <laughs> so, um, we go play and I made six birdies and three pars and golf had never been that easy in my life. And so I went home and literally in two days, my phone rang and it was the university of Houston head golf coach, Keith Fergus. And Keith called me and said, Hey, so I heard you whipped up on my boy, uh, Brad, and I want you to come down and see university of Houston. I was more of a, a late bloomer in the sport. I put, started playing golf when I was 16. Okay. I was not more one of the, you know, prestige junior players mm-hmm. coming up through the ranks. I played baseball and a little bit of basketball until right. I couldn't jump. And so when I, when I picked up a golf club, it was the only sport where I had a gut wrench and desire to get better. And that's where it led the university of Houston. So fast track now to the next link. Mm-hmm. So Ben Parks and I, who I was just telling the story about, I would talk to him three, four, five times a week. Cause he like, I'd call him and say, Hey, this happened on the golf course. And we've talked through things. Anytime I came back to Texas from playing over in Asia, um, I was in Dallas or Houston. I'd drive up to Dallas, spend a couple of days with them and have a non-alcoholic beer and some enchiladas. And we talk about the ways of the world and golf. I love it. Yeah. It was just a phenomenal, um, it was just good energy and mm-hmm. just good. It's just a good people. Right. So, um, as I was phasing out of playing, I didn't know really what to do. Um, and hope and I sat down and we were trying to come up with the name of a company. And we, we liked the idea of having a golf connotation associated with it, which was the link and then the NXT and, and what, what the premise of next link is, 
it, it's a finance company that links capital with projects and opportunities. And what that meant, the, the main root of the company was I would come back from the Far East, or even if I was traveling over in Canada, playing the Canadian tour, staying in touch with friends of mine. Because remember, my my net my merging of network was not just in Texas. It it's was everywhere. It was it was global, mm -hmm. right? It was all over the place. And that was still back in the day when we really didn't text message. We didn't have cameras on our phones. Right. It was actually in-person conversation and having a chat and getting to know somebody mm -hmm. instead of all being kind of on our virtual. screen. Right, virtual. So um I was I was receiving all of these inquiries or, or from my friends saying, hey, look, I'm looking for this type of capital partner, this kind of financial arm or this type of investment or investor. I'm starting a company. Maybe it's a, a software or a different type. I'm like, you know what? I just came back from the Singapore Open. I need to introduce you to my buddy who's the head of the capital market markets. Two of his mates were there. We're staying in his house for two weeks. They're the head of two hedge funds global. Y'all need to talk. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about golf. I mean, I'm sorry, the, the, the company I was thinking about golf, I was still playing. I was trying mm -hmm. to figure it out. And so I put the two together in a relationship turned to marriage and it got funded. But I wasn't thinking about that. Right. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Right. So Ben put his arm around me and said, Jeff, there's more than one way to make a six footer in life. And you've done such a phenomenal job for 12 or 13 years. You guys these kiddos were y'all were going in a direction where I needed to look at in my position playing the Hooters tour or a secondary <laughs> tour, what they call the barbecue back screen front screen door tour, uh -huh. and making the max amount that you would make for your efforts monetarily. Looking back twenty years ago when I was going to Asia, wasn't there. If I'm right. on the PGA or at that time it was called the Nationwide Insurance PGA Nationwide tour then I need to be looking at doing something else because I have a limited amount of time on this growth pattern. Mm -hmm. And so that's where organically that started because I looked over at Hope and I said, oh my gosh, this deal just got funded. Ben put a light bulb, a light bulb went off in my head thinking, wait a second, I just made this introduction. I did this. I knew the funding sources. They had already vetted me organically. I knew my friend for years, he knew that if I introduced him to someone, He's going to take the call. They're both going to want to listen to each other. And I can make a six footer in life, which was that very similar to golf. So golf has golf to me is a microcosm of life. There are so many parallels in this sport that are mind blowing, mind boggling. It's just, mm -hmm. you can look at it every day and, and just say, Oh my gosh, that's very, it has a lot of parallels in life. And so that's how it started. Speaking of golf, having so many parallels in life and looking at how, it's very applicable to a lot, just every day. I have noticed a lot of professional athletes in general. Professional athletes have a window. Most sports, you can play for this age demographic at the top. And then once you turn like 30, you're done. Or your knees give out. You have too many injuries, too many concussions. Like there is only a certain window where you can play at such a high level that you would need that funding and what you were talking about of what you needed to be for where you were at in life. Um, I feel like a lot of these pro athletes go after their pro career and create companies or become huge spokespeople for companies that blow up. And they're really successful. Do you think that that has something to do with an athletic mindset? Like you're talking about how you see golf being applied in every single 
aspect of life and everyday life. Do you feel like that helps you run a company, create a company, having that mindset that you've had your whole life of competition with yourself and looking at a bigger picture, looking at the entirety of a golf course before you even step foot onto it. Do you think that that changed the game, if you will, for you to start a company? Without reservation, I can explain that. And I think you made so many um, salient points there that when um, you're an athlete, whether it be pro tennis, pro, I mean, baseball, you have baseball, you know, other teammates and golf, um, you're basically, it's your brand. You're the CEO of your own brand. You're the CEO of your own company. Every day. Every day. And I had employees. I had caddies. I also had um, psychologists. I had swing coach, you know, that, that were on the payroll. Yep. I Physical therapists. Yeah. I actually, mm-hmm. I have to account for those expenses. And so when you look at how you run a company being a professional golfer, I think that that is a very natural kind of way to work into another company or start one and run it because you've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And I think it's important on who you surround yourself with mm-hmm. um, to be able to do that. I mean, you look at uh, Tiger Woods is a great example. He's got the Tiger Woods Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. But he has so many things that he's a, he's also the number one player in the world. Mm-hmm. And he's the other GOAT. Jack Nicholas is the first. He's the other GOAT, greatest of all time in golf. And so there are so many other revenue streams that can be earned just because of your likeness and your brain and the companies that you start. Yeah. From. I think there's a lot of parallels when it comes to that. It's a great point. So where can people find you? I know you don't do social media. You're kind of, the, you stalk. So he won't follow for follow people, but like he will look at your Instagram page, but where informational purposes, exactly. <laughs> Research. Like my media. Uh, Unless you're the rock. He's obsessed <laughs> with the rock. So yes, that's a great story. The rock. If you're listening to this podcast, I feel like I've made it as a person, but also please just give a shout out to my dad. It would mean the world to him. Um, but- I have one picture posted on Instagram, I think. To- <laughs> and no problem. Profile no picture. profile. Good so, luck, Rock. Good well, luck. Where can people find you if they're looking for a golf coach? If they're looking for, hey, uh, I'm really good at top golf, but I don't know how to play 18 holes and I'm looking at doing that. And they just kind of want a little bit of information. Where can people find you? I'm not easy to find. That's it's not a good me. thing to no, say. No, <laughs> but it's true. And you know, I'm a one man show right now with Nexlink. Mm-hmm. And um, also with the First Tee and my affiliation with um, the First Tee program, um, you can you can reach me through the First Tee, also through my cell phone. Mm-hmm. I I have a website. I haven't built one yet. All I right. am actually so incredibly busy on both hats that I wear. Yeah, I don't think I can take on more right now. Okay, what it means. Um, so like for next link, I have so many of my clients that I am working with on linking, you know, opportunities with capital and what their, their initiatives are, as well as a golf base. I'm always open to have a conversation to help someone, but I could be two, three, four weeks out before I can schedule them in golf. hundred percent. And that happens. So, um, probably need to look into getting a website. Let's, you know, let's set this I up for you. You might be a good person I could <laughs> lean on. I know someone now. I've got someone. You um, definitely know the meaning of this podcast. I talk about it on probably every single episode about how you are the basis of where this came from. 
I'm going to cry in this episode. I probably will too. <laughs> hey, by the way, this is my first podcast. I, I know. Congratulations. You're part of the family then, crying <laughs> in public. <laughs> um, but like what you said, I was really struggling when I didn't know what I was doing and my identity was changing. I was going from a college student with security. I thought I had everything figured out. Like I thought I was hitting 30 on the front nine because I booked an off Broadway show and then I fell flat on my face on the back nine and I literally had no idea what I was Wasn't doing. Was Natalie Portman opening right next to you? <laughs> I think that's yes. a, yeah. And Stephen Colbert was on the side. <laughs> Just want to Just make clarifying. that point. Just clarify. Um, but you were the big inspiration of keeping my hammer on the rock and chipping away. And that stuck with me, that metaphor, as people can probably tell through this whole episode, you were a very big advocate of metaphors. And yeah. so that metaphor really just stuck with me um, so much so that I created an entire platform for it. Um, so I'm really interested to know um, the, I guess you could say the founder behind the chipping away metaphor, what keeps you chipping away with all these hats that you wear what makes you wake up every single day and put all of them on throughout a 24-hour period? Anytime that I can help someone or create value in a scenario where they otherwise were not able to do it for themselves, that's for me a motivator um, because I like putting the pieces of a puzzle together and saying, yep, you need X, Y, and Z. Well, let's have this conversation. Let's see if we can work to an end goal. Mm -hmm. That's a huge motivator for me. And in golf, it was the same, very similar parallel talking about how you brought up the point of uh, your brand or CEO and starting another company and how successful they are life after the sport that you play or the, yeah. the, um, the time that you put into the sport is that when it comes to um, waking up every day as a professional athlete, you know, you're in the gym at 5 a.m. or you're in the gym in the middle of the day or you're in the gym later in the day. You're working on your body because you're always in an airplane. You're always in a car. You're always lugging baggage at 70 pounds each. You're not always staying in a great hotel. People really don't see what's behind the scenes other than when you're teeing it up on a PGA tournament. They see Thursday through Sunday and the glamour and the lights are on. Now there's private jets and there's a lot of it. <laughs> but back in the day, I was traveling over in the Far East and it was 40 hours from when I left the house to go to, let's say, New Delhi, India, or Bangkok, Thailand, or even when I played in Korea, or all the Asian countries, you're looking at two days to get there, recover from jet lag. No one saw that when, when it was televised around the no, world. No, 100%. They only saw how you played or they look online and go, oh, Jeff's play, he's three under, he's playing good. Well, they don't know if I slept wrong or you know I missed a bus because we didn't have cars over there. Mm -hmm. You're taking a shuttle bus. There's a lot of things that come into it. But when you're talking about the motivator and chipping away, I give uh, a, a very good friend of mine, Sean Elliott, all the credit in the world, who's a um, very, very accomplished basketball player, lives yeah. in San Antonio. And um, Greg Popovich, the coach of the Spurs. I love Popovich. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's just phenomenal um, kind of values of the Spurs is that Sean would always tell me about how Popovich would motivate the Spurs meaning that he had this big rock in the, in the locker room and there was this hammer. I'm like, well, what was that all about? And he goes, I just want you to keep that hammer and keep applying it on the rock and keep chipping away because you're going to get there. But you have to keep chipping away to get there. 
And so that's always resonating with me and Hope and I have always talked about how that's um, kind of been our family motto, especially like with you growing up and going to Pace University and the path that you've taken. Yeah. So before I let you go. Um, oh, we're stopping now. Yeah. Oh, oh. I'm so sorry. You, you can give more metaphors when we do like an Instagram live or something. <laughs> um, but before I let you go, uh, you did mention as you were taking on more hats. So your identity for majority of your life was being a professional athlete, being a pro golfer. And you said that you struggled a lot losing that identity, trying to discover what your identity is. I know that that will resonate with a lot of people. It resonates with me. I think it resonates with just about anybody right now, especially in quarantine, because we're all forced to face ourselves. We literally have nothing else to do but deal with the bullshit that we've been avoiding for way too long, probably, as my therapist has told me. So um, I think there's a lot of people who are also going through that struggle of loss of identity, loss of normalcy, loss of understanding what they thought would be forever and isn't. So is there any kind of advice or any kind of helpful hints that you could give to our listeners today about maybe someone struggling with that today and looking to this podcast, looking to you for a little bit of inspiration and motivation, um, helping them kind of navigate this really challenging time? And The world that we live in right now um it's it's so interesting you you brought up that scenario and asked that question because i i'm i'm hitting rewind when we were in new york and i watched you do the podcast with hope in new york in your apartment yeah and you no longer have that apartment in new york you moved out of that apartment virtually without going back to new york and now you're trying to figure out your next move right and seeing what has the transformation, our world, I call it a twisted reality right now. And it is. And I think that one of the biggest things that's kind of helped myself and our family is being active and not everyone can go to a gym right now. Um, even if it's getting a backpack and putting in a couple pairs of shoes, which is more weight and walking a couple miles or just getting some blood flowing and sweating. Or if you turn your garage into a gym, I think that's number one is taking care of yourself first because no one else is going to be doing that mm -hmm. at all. And, and the second thing is I'm a, <laughs> I've given a hard time by hope many times about this. I'm a list of a list maker and I probably make too many lists. You do make a lot of lists. Pad. I make a lot of lists. But she so, has no room to talk and I have no room well, to talk. We're a list I making think, I think family. Another, I think there's another spiral over there of a list and it's not mine. So I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> so when you, when you look at, I think when you write a goal down, whether it be a sub goal or, or kind of a moonshot, you know, your, your sidecars and your ones you're really going for out in the stratosphere in order to reach the one in the stratosphere, you have to look at how am I going to get there mm -hmm. and what's my path. And it's going to be like an alligator, you know, moves around it zigzags. It's not a straight line. I don't know very many people that had a straight line mm -hmm. at all. Um, and let's say, you know, you categorize those as what's most important and what's least important. And let's accomplish those sub goals over time, but if you can write those down and start accomplishing things one at a time, I think it makes a big difference on how you live your life. Yeah, I, I think people who have been over to my apartment or um, just in y'all's bathroom growing up, 
my mother would write quotes for you and have those on your mirror. You had to like look at your goal every single day. Mm -hmm. um, I have a good feelings board in my apartment because I'm a nerd and anything that makes nerds me, are cool. Nerds know. are really cool. cool. I know we're, we're a huge advocate like of nerds nerd here. Um, but anything that really fulfilled me with joy or was a goal that I was looking forward to or an accomplishment that I wanted, I would put that on my good feelings board. And that's what I woke up to every single day. Um, and that's definitely helped my mindset and um, where I want to get to in life, which may not always be the end goal that I thought it was, but it's a goal affiliated with something that was on my good feelings board. So I do think that's a really, really great piece of advice for our listeners today. Yeah, and going and reflecting back on when I made that transformation, that was not an easy time. I mean, there were a lot of tears that were shed. There was um, a lot of disappointment internally for me because I knew as a golfer, I have won tournaments. I've played with the best golfers in the world. I've been around them. I knew what it took. And I got there. At certain, I was able to achieve certain levels of the game, not enough to sustain it over a long period of time. And so if that knowledge for me, I can incorporate into my company, which is NextLink, I can incorporate to the client slash victims, you know, I work with at the first tee and I go back to creating value. If you're able to create value for someone and you're transparent about it, it goes a long way. It really does. Well, I thank you so much for coming on today. So I've excited. I've loved learning about your journey and all your different hats in more detail. I feel like I've seen the detail of your hats now, so I can go like draw them from memory if I need to. <laughs> I'll give you one of those hats. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, well, if you guys have any questions about golf or anything like that, um, don't ask me, um, but it's obviously um, that you can ask my dad when he has time. Uh, but also, I really hope that this Motivational Monday, you guys were able to take a little bit of inspiration about the mental game of golf, the mental game of life, and also the visualization of your goals. I know that um, it's been a really rough couple months, and I feel a little bit better, and I feel like you've given us a lot of advice and inspiration on very tactical things that we can take on today. So I'm going to go put some shoes in a backpack and start walking in 106 degree weather and get that blood pumping. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Electrolytes. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you, you coming on. Excited, yes. yes. And thank you guys for tuning in. And we will have another episode for you guys next week of Chipping Away. Have a great rest of your motivational Monday. Chipping away, chipping away with me.